right, welcome everybody to episode 14 of Derek's Discussions here with Nick Vete. Nick Vete goes to Marist College, so that's kind of, you know, a little bit about him, obviously sports communication. And so first off, Nick, how are you doing today? Dude, it's uh, I'm doing great, Derek. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to join and uh, talk a little bit about sports, talk a little bit about everything that's going on with you, man. So first of all, like what got you got in, like what made you go into, you know, sports, sports media, sports communication? You know, I think a big part of it was like growing up, I always had a fascination with sports. And then when you get to that age, when you're in high school and you're like looking at, all right, like, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? What do I want to go pursue a degree in? Um, what's kind of that next step? It was kind of one of those things where I was like, all right, like I definitely know that I'd love to work in sports, whether it was, you know, for a, a sports marketing company or for a team or for, you know, anything. My first dream was to be like a, a general manager. And then I was like, all right, there's only 30 of those per sport. So I'm probably going to pass on that. And then uh, I don't know, I actually got an opportunity when I was a junior in high school to start working with a local radio station near my town. And just kind of fell in love with the uh, aspect of talking about sports and doing sports radio. And then kind of as the transition from junior year of high school into college came, that was where it was like, okay, it seems like a pretty natural transition to go and study either something like sports communication or go and study something like radio and TV or something along those lines. So that was kind of how the progression went. And then, uh, and then I don't know, just kind of once you get into it, once you're out of school, um, you know, there was times where I was like, is this really what I want to do? Do I want to, you know, change it to maybe something like change my major or something like business and go and pursue something in a different direction. But, you know, every time I had those doubts, I kind of was circled back to, you know, reasons why I like doing sports communication or doing sports radio or sports TV or anything like that. And yeah, we're still plugging along with it here going into my senior year. And then obviously, you know, you look at sports schools, like Marist is not at the top of the list. I was looking at you know, one of these articles and Marist wasn't even in the top 20. So like what made you kind of go to Marist kind of knowing you're into sports, but then also on the flip side, you know, Marist is not a big school and their sports communication is not, not that it's not top tier because I think it's better than what certain people think, but it's not like a Syracuse. It's not a Arizona state and other schools like that. So what really made you want to go? Yeah, well, I mean, I think when I was kind of in senior year and I was making that decision, still even at that time, like going to a school that like a Syracuse, like, oh, gosh, like that's the that's the cream of the crop when it comes to like sports schools. That wasn't like my top priority. Like I was about finding like the right school that I felt was a fit. So like I'll be completely honest. My dream school was Notre Dame. They didn't have sports communication. They didn't have any like radio, really real like crazy radio television stuff that it seemed like if I was going to go there, I was trying to get into their school of business and I was just going to, you know, roll with something business related. They ended up actually getting a sports management program. I think the year after the year after my freshman year, which I probably would have switched into had I gone there. But then even my second school, my follow-up school that I did get into was, uh, was Fairfield. That was my second choice. And had I gone there, I also would have studied business and my minor would have been sports management, but Maris was just the school Everything about it just seemed like a right fit. I loved the campus. I got a great feel for the for the school when I was here. Um, they had a ski team, which was something that I definitely wanted to continue doing when I got to college was to keep, you know, competing competitively in ski racing. And just the ability to major in sports communication was just something that went along with it. So I wasn't really dead set on saying, like, this is the only thing I want to pursue. I'm only going to look at schools that have a sports radio or sports television program. It was kind of the other things that went into it as well. Yeah, Notre Dame. I actually know um someone that goes to Notre Dame that's actually in sports broadcasting. And in that article I was, you know, mentioning earlier, Notre Dame's program for sports broadcasting in particular was ranked number three in the country. And then my backstory, you know, my dad went to Notre Dame, so I'm kind of familiar with, you know, the whole mantra of Notre Dame and the fighting Irish and everything like that. But how was COVID for you? Obviously, now being a senior in college, you kind of went through it during college. So how was that life like? I like to think I made the most of it. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you have restrictions. You got stuff you got to deal with. You know, you got RAs barking down your neck all the time about, you know, following protocols and everything like that. And you do. You keep everybody safe as best you can. The thing that really stunk was just I think you lose out on certain aspects. You know, I, I went through my whole freshman year. I experienced a lot of different stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're back to this kind of other form of school. Whereas, like, 
I think freshmen that came in, it was really all they knew until it was different. Whereas like, yeah, I had the one taste of it, then everything's taken away. And you're like, well, like, even though I still like made the most of it, or I still like in my own mind made the most of it. And I still did, you know, everything I could within the rules to a certain extent, you know, you, you know, you're missing out on things. I knew I was missing out on a year of ski racing. I knew I was missing out on this or that, you know, so it, it's one of those things that stinks, but it was just the nature of the beast. And I think that's kind of one of the things is any situation you're in, whether it's, you know, COVID or whatever other hands you're dealt, you just kind of got to make the most of it. And that's what we tried to do. And then obviously, you know, when watching just a normal game of sports, your mindset is completely different than a typical fan because you're in, you know, sports communication. You want to, you know, pursue a career in sports. So what's your mindset? Obviously, you know, when you have a team in mind that you really like, it's from a fan's perspective. But what's your mindset just in a normal, you know, sporting event? Yeah, I mean, if it's a normal sporting event that, like, say I'm watching an NBA playoff game or something between two teams I have no real rooting interest, I mean, I am watching it for some of the storylines, and I'm watching it for some of the actual aspects of what's going on in, in the, inside the game of itself, some of the intricacies, some of what, what's going to be the thing that is driving the conversation tomorrow and what's affecting it from play to play uh, and how it develops. I think it's one of those things where it's like, yes, as someone that wants to – work in sports you have to look at it through the lens of things differently but I think at the end of the day why do we all get into sports to begin with we're all fans of the game we're all fans of the sport so I think that that's part of the thing that you can never really lose and I think that's part of the reason that still makes stuff like talk radio sports talk radio so entertaining is at the end of the day we all still really just enjoy watching the sport and and taking it in and just appreciating what's going on and then obviously we talk mostly sports and you know, what would you say your quote unquote dream job would be like 10, 15 years down the road where, you know, obviously stepping in, you're not going to be, let's be honest, nobody is going to be, you know, the next Mike Tirico or whatever out of, out of college. And then once you're like solidified, obviously you talk, talk radio, you know, stuff like that. What do you see yourself, you know, set in stone 15 years down the line? Hey, that's, that's what I'm doing. And that's what I'm going to, you know, stick with. Yeah. The ultimate goal. WFAN radio host. That's, that's been the dream. That's been the goal. Um, doesn't have to be WFAN, but that's what it is. That's, that's the goal is to be on a talk radio major station like that. And obviously I know that's something that's going to take an incredible amount of work. It's, you know, I talked earlier, you know, there's only so many general manager jobs. Well, there's only so many hosts at WFAN that, uh, that, that you're going to get. So, um, but I don't know, that's the goal long-term, but like I said at the beginning, I think kind of the motivation for me to keep going in, in in this direction, going with a major like sports communication is to work in sports down the road. And uh, radio is where I have a passion, no doubt. That's something that I've been doing uh, for a little bit now in, in high school and then into college as well. And that's just where I, I want to be down the road. Um, you know, what the steps are to get there, I don't necessarily know. But but working in sports radio uh, at the minor, you know, more minor levels is uh, is definitely kind of the next step in, in the progression is, you know, I'm ready to kind of go and put in the work and, and start at a lower level and just work, work my way up over the years. And, you know, that would be the dream goal down the line, but I guess you never know where life really takes you. And then a fun question kind of that I like to ask is what is one thing you want people to know about you? Hmm. Fun thing, fun thing related, Derek. I need something fun to talk about here. Um, I don't know. I'm allergic to cats. That's not really fun. I almost died when I was four, believe it or not. That's actually how I found out I was allergic to cats was that I was over at a friend's house and it was, I think it was like the first time I'd ever seen a cat in my life. I was like literally no older than like two, three, four, something like that. And I like picked up the thing. And next thing I know, I had to be like rushed to a hospital and that's how I found out I was allergic (laughs) to cats. But that's usually my go-to. I don't know if that's a fun fact, but whenever says someone asks me like, Oh, what's, what's like something random about yourself. It's yeah, I'm definitely allergic to cats, but. I don't know. It's definitely gotten better as I've gotten older. No hospital visits since then. So I guess that's a plus. You know, I'm actually also allergic to cats, but I'm only allergic to long haired cats and it's not as bad of a reaction as you've had, obviously. Yeah. Well, you know what part of it was the part of the issue was my best friend in like elementary school had a cat. This was separate from that first instance. So every time I'd want to sleep over at his house, I'd be doped up on Benadryl. Like there was no tomorrow <laughs> and they'd clean the couch beforehand. And that, that was just how I had to go about it. I mean, what are you going to do? You're, you're 10 years old. You want to, you want to sleep over at your friend's house. So we made it work. Yeah. And you know, one thing people find funny, you know, about me is I can't sleep when it's warm outside. I have, I think right now, 
usually I have about three fans in my room to fall asleep. So right now I have like two fans in my room and I got to have them blasting, you know, when they're why, trying to fall why don't, asleep. Why don't you just, why don't you just kill the fans and, and invest in an air conditioning system, Derek? I think, I think for my own room though, for your own room, man, get it, go out, get an air conditioning unit. I can't imagine. You could probably find a used one on Facebook marketplace for like, I, I bet you some are selling for 20 bucks. Stick that sucker in your window and you'll get an ice box going in no time. I don't know. I kind of, I, I like the fan setup because of the noise. Do you think an air conditioner doesn't make noise? Well, no, but like the fan noise is more peaceful compared to the AC. You know what's more peaceful is just having no noise at all, Derek. That that's really that's peaceful. not. I can't sleep. I can't sleep like that. Can't sleep like that. Anyways, you would be one of the people that like leaves the TV on when they go to sleep too. Like like just to have it on in the background. Like I you would go to sleep. Why would why why? It's but just, I don't. It's, I don't. It's on. I don't, There's no reason your electricity bill gets racked up. There's no look, purpose to it. See, I wouldn't have the TV TV on. I'd have like radio or you know. Like just listening to music because I love listening to music and then just passing out right on the couch. That's that's brutal, man. How can you go to sleep? Then you wake up at like five in the morning to like Dave Matthews band go and he's singing like tripping billies or something. And then next thing you know, you're up. It's 5 a.m. You got to use the bathroom. And then I, then you're then at that point, you might as well just start your day. I mean, it I don't gets know how you that's going. enjoyable. It's get you. It gets you going. I guess so. I have to agree. to. I, li- I like dead silence when I sleep. Anyways, maybe, maybe, maybe some, uh, maybe some peaceful, maybe some peaceful, like rain. If it's like raining outside, that's, that's to the extent of it that I can handle. I have to have fans. I have to be like 30 degrees, at least going to bed. Anyways, how, how have sports affected you as a person? Like, what do you mean? In what regard? Playing sports, just sports in general, consuming sports. sports. Just sports in general, meaning from a standpoint of, you know, you're trying to break into the field. You know, sports have a different kind of, you know, impact on you than a normal athlete or just a normal fan. It's more of a direct impact as, you know, if there weren't sports right now, you know, my entire career, my entire landscape of life, I think, would be completely different. Well, you know, one thing I got to say about sports that I, I kind of pride myself on is I don't think I ever let the outcome of sports games for my favorite teams, whether it's the Yankees, Steelers, Penguins, or Knicks, which are the four main ones I support, I don't ever let the results of their games affect my personality as I interact with other people. You know, I know certain people will, you know, if, if the Yankees lose, for example, it's affecting the way that their day goes about. I try to never let it get to that. I try to always kind of – it's almost like keeping – like your, your work life and your home life separate. Like, I, I think that it has to apply to a certain extent. So yes, sports consumes you every day. I'm reading, you know, articles about different teams every night. I'm checking Twitter for what's going on. You're always watching games. You're always consuming it to a certain extent. And that does sometimes bleed into just your day to day life. But at the end of the day, I'm never going to let that affect the other interactions and relationships I have with people. All right. Now moving over to part two, my favorite part of Derek's discussions now, Nick, what are your thoughts on Donovan Mitchell, the trade speculation, possibly a Nick? Just what are your thoughts, Nick? Um, dude, of course I'm going to say the Knicks is the best bet. But, I mean, that's where I want him to go. That's where I think he's going to go. I think at this point with where we're at in kind of the whole Donovan Mitchell, I guess you could call it sweepstakes, even though it's a trade situation. Um, you know, honestly, the thing that's most perplexing to me about this is why Utah even really wants to trade him in the first place. Like, I get the reason that you would trade Gobert and the fact that they got such a haul for him, um, for a player in Gobert who really, in my opinion, isn't that much of a difference maker on a championship team. I mean, his game is limited to a certain extent. But, like, when you have a superstar like Donovan Mitchell, like, that's the guy. Whenever you're drafting in the middle of the first round, you're always hoping that you can land on a guy like Donovan Mitchell. Like, he was picked after Frank Nalitakina in his draft class. Like, teams pray that they can be picking in the mid-teens and grab a guy like Donovan Mitchell. And Utah finally did it. And you're telling me that now they're going to look to trade him? I mean, that's the guy who can be a cornerstone of your franchise. So they were even talking before they considered trading Donovan Mitchell. They were like, okay, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, you know, kind of retool. We acquired all these assets trading Rudy Gobert. And we're going to kind of retool, rebuild, centered around Donovan Mitchell. And I was like, all right, that actually, like, makes sense. You know, as a Knicks fan, like, damn, that sucks. He's not going to become available. But I get the Jazz's reasoning there. And then when the Jazz were like, you know what, we're actually going to look to trade Donovan Mitchell. I mean, hallelujah. 
And I'm in the state of mind that the Knicks, you got to give up whatever it takes to get this guy. Anything it takes to get Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, you're not going to give up every single draft pick that you have and every single young talent. But if they come calling anything outside of R.J. Barrett that they want as, as to be the centerpiece of the deal, yeah, I'm cool with it being the centerpiece of the deal. So Emmanuel, RJ... Qu- Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, if they want any of these guys to be the centerpiece, whatever first-round picks they want to be the centerpiece, that's what you go out and you give them. That's the centerpiece that you build the deal around. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. So R.J. Barrett in that potential deal is untouchable for you? Yeah, he's the one guy. And, and you know what? I think that part of it is like, yeah, it's untouchable for me as the Knicks for two reasons. One, because he's kind of shown you now that he can develop into being like a real legitimate 20 points per game score. And, he's, you know, he's, he's still not even really close to reaching his prime. He's still in his early 20s. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, I believe, is 25, and he's just starting to reach his prime. So, I mean, it's like the fact that R.J. Barrett has already progressed season to season. I wouldn't want to give him up. And he's at the point now where he's kind of becoming a cornerstone of this Knicks franchise of like the fans are really saying like, wow, this is the guy that we picked that's developing. That's really going to be kind of the face of the franchise. So I think it's at the point where I wouldn't want to give him up. And from everything I've read, again, you don't know what's true, what's not. But it seems like the Jazz don't really see him as a fit either. Yeah. um, Part of that reason with R.J. Barrett not going to the Jazz is because He's due for a contract extension. Who knows what that money's going to be, number one. But the one thing with Donovan Mitchell, if he goes to the Knicks, let's just say hypothetical, Donovan Mitchell goes to the Knicks. Let's just throw out a trade package here. Well, here, let's, 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 go off, let's go off the most recent trade package that was offered according, according to Shams. It was Obi Toppin. It was Evan Fournier. It was additional salary. Uh, it was two unprotected firsts and three protected firsts for a total of five for a five total of five first round picks and that got declined. So it would have to be more than that. So I, I'm going to let you resume with your hypothetical. So Obi Toppin, you, you said Obi Toppin, Fournier and five, five draft picks, correct? Five draft picks, two of them unprotected. And then also additional salary, which I don't know if that would be, you know, I heard possibly Quentin Grimes or possibly uh, Miles McBride or some additional salary that they would have to make so that the Knicks could afford to bring Donovan Mitchell in. That was the latest package I heard from Shams. Okay, so I'm going to do a trade package that I think would work better for both teams, and it doesn't involve either players. I'm going to say it's going to be, I don't want to give up Quentin Grimes, but I think he's the guy that has to get it done for Utah. I'm saying Quentin Grimes goes in that deal. I think you're talking about quickly going in that deal as well. Then it's kind of like, who else would go in that deal when you're talking about young pieces? I think, let's say the Knicks are reluctant to give up six six first round picks. So let's mm-hmm. stick stick with five draft picks. The same thing, two unprotected, three protected. And then you look at it from a standpoint of you got to match Sowie with Grimes and quickly. I think instead of Fournier, I think the Jazz would rather have Randall. And I if I'm the Knicks, I wouldn't mind giving up Randall based on the uh status of what I believe in Obi Toppin. So in this deal I'm saying Quentin Grimes Emmanuel quickly, five draft picks, and Julius Randle. I'm not sure how much that gets it done, what the Jazz would think, but I think it's an enticing offer from both sides. So if that goes through, do the Knicks actually, you know, have a chance to make an NBA title in, let's say, five years or three to five years, adding Donovan Mitchell? Well, what's the difference? What what are they going to be if they don't add Donovan Mitchell? Because then they're even worse. They have all these draft picks accumulated that are always going to be picks 11 to 15, somewhere in the middle of the first round. You're never going to be any better than that. You're never going to be any worse than that. And you're going to perpetually be middle of the pack, which is an awful place to be. And we've seen them never draft well when they have those mid-round picks. I mean, you're going to get fine role players like Quinn Grimes or Emmanuel Quickly that you're going to get kind of in those mid to late first round areas. And that's what you're going to perpetually be stuck with. So yeah, I'm going to give up those picks. I'm going to give up uh, Quinn Grimes, I'm going to give up Emmanuel quickly. If you want to throw our uh, Julius Randle in there, fine. I don't know if the Jazz necessarily would want him. I don't know if that's something that necessarily makes sense for the direction they're going in. But if that's the case, yeah, I'll give it up. I think the real question for the Jazz is going to be how many unprotected first-round picks they get. I think, you know, everything I've, I've read, everything that seems to be the case is that they want, you know, unprotected picks first and foremost. Um, you know, the, the players that come, I, I think there's a little bit of mixing and matching that can be done there when it comes to the players. But if you bring in a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who can then be your one, and then you're pairing that with Jalen Brunson, you're pairing that with RJ Barrett, 
if Julius Randle, hypothetically, let's say he stayed in Obi Toppin was back in the deal, you're now letting Julius Randle be in that role that everybody said he needed to be following the Atlanta Hawks series. When they got eliminated in that playoffs to the Atlanta Hawks, everybody said Julius Randle is no better than a three on a championship team. Now, if Donovan Mitchell's not a one, he's certainly a 1A in my mind. So then you're now allowing R.J. Bear, Jalen Brunson to be one of them to be the two on that team. And then Julius Randle can slot perfectly into that three role that everybody seems to think he's capable of and everybody seems to think is what he's actually meant to be rather than the one on a championship team, which, which clearly he wasn't good enough in that, ja- in that uh, Hawks playoff series a couple years ago. So, yeah, I think that that's something that I would certainly do. And it's the same thing where it's like, yeah, you stockpile all these picks. Let's say you give up those five draft picks like we still talked about. They had 11 total that they're capable of trading going forward. So I don't think it completely jeopardizes the future of the franchise. And you're still getting Donovan Mitchell at just 25. The guy could still get better. He's just entering his prime now. Yeah, the only concern I have when you're talking about Donovan Mitchell and giving up picks and these players is you look at it from a standpoint of, what are the Knicks thinking? Are they thinking if you get Donovan Mitchell that you're going to win an NBA title? Because if they think that, they're crazy. I understand Donovan Mitchell makes the, the Knicks a playoff, you know, making maybe, you know, the Eastern Conference semi, semis. That's probably about where they're, you know, topped at if you add a Donovan Mitchell. And then, you know, I talk earlier in other episodes, and it's like, if you get Mitchell, let's just do a hypothetical. Mitchell is the one. Now, the question is, is Mitchell a 1? Is he a 2? My opinion is he's a, either a 2A or he's a 1B. He's like right, he's in the middle of 1 and 2. Then you got, you know, R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson. To me, they're kind of 2-3. They're in that same mix. They're 2-3s. Julius Randle, I don't think, is a number 3 for an NBA title team. I think having him right. at 4 would be fine. But the biggest question is the Knicks need a star. Donovan Mitchell is a star. But you're talking about getting rid of Grimes. You're talking about getting rid of quickly. Those are role pieces that how are you going to fill those fill those spots, especially when the contract of Donovan Mitchell is $30 million for a starter. You're going to have to find league minimum deals, and that's kind of where it gets iffy. But at the end of the day, I think the Knicks are in a good spot no matter what happens. I just think, you know, realistically, do you think if the Knicks get Donovan Mitchell – that in five years, let's just say, when everybody's kind of in their prime, everybody's kind of developed together, that they're going to win an NBA championship? Well, I'll tell you this. Let's not forget that just two seasons ago, Donovan Mitchell led the Jazz to the best record in the Western Conference, being the leader of that team. He had Rudy Gobert, but it's not like he's not going to have other options here with the Knicks. And like I said, I'm high on R.J. Barrett. Jalen Brunson's a very capable, uh, another key, very capable option on that Knicks roster. And then it's like, in my opinion, yeah, if we got to give up Grimes, if we got to give up quickly, if, if Toppin, if some of those guys are in the deal, who are these role players, I'd rather go out and try and replace role players than I would try and hit on a star with these mid-round picks that they're going to be keeping going forward. You're going to bring Donovan Mitchell in. He's going to be the centerpiece of the team. And like I said, he's still so young. He's still capable of developing. I would be comfortable with him being that. Eventually, you're going to have to shed more salary down the line and you're still going to have draft picks that you can work with. You're not going to give up every single draft pick you have. So I'm going out, I'm making this move. In my opinion, this is almost something, you know, guys like Bradley Beal or guys like um, Damian Lillard have always been, you know, linked to the Knicks. This is like getting one of those guys. This is like getting Damian Lillard when he's just entering his prime and you can have him for this foreseeable future. Donovan Mitchell wants to be a Nick. And, you know, this is only going to open up the opportunity for stars to want to play down the road. And, yes, I know you're going to have to maneuver salary cap, but it's not like that's an impossible task. Yeah, you mentioned stars. You add Donovan Mitchell. You add, let's say, R.J. Barrett stays and Jalen Brunson. What type of star are we talking about? Because if you just add Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks are not going to win an NBA title. Yeah, I'm a Knicks fan, year, but that's... But they, not in one year, but they could down the road. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to are, are, do. Would you rather they still sit competent right now, continuously being a mid first round pick team that's going to have middle of the line draft picks are going to constantly be hoping that they can hit on one of these mid level first round players. And they're going to perpetually be stuck in a place of, of, of just frankly, mediocrity. Is that no. where we'd rather be set for the next five years? See, this is, this is what I think. I think you get down Mitchell. I think you'd be cautious of what you trade necessarily. I like Grimes, but I understand you got to trade him. I think Toppin you don't trade just because I think he has a higher ceiling than I think Julius Randle does. 
that's one of the pieces that there's talked about. He could get traded. I'd keep him. But if you add Donovan Mitchell, Knicks fans are going to think that they want to win an NBA title with Donovan Mitchell. The Knicks are not going to win, I don't think, a NBA title. If they Even if they get Donovan Mitchell, they're going to add another star. And if you look at the free agency classes for the next couple of years, there isn't a star that I can see that's going to pair with Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett yes, but perfectly. We see, but, but we see player mobility so often in the NBA. I mean, look at KD trying to get out of trying to get out of Brooklyn recently. Like guys are constantly looking to be on the move. Guys are constantly requesting trades. Like guys become available, and when they see New York become a destination, when you can go and play with R.J. Barrett and Donovan Mitchell. Guys are going to want to go there. You have to get the stars. You have to get the talent there for other guys to want to come and play. And when they want out of a situation, the NBA is a player-friendly league when it comes to mobility. And guys are going to want to come to New York when you start to get stars there. Okay. Now, I'll, now, what would you say what piece would fit perfectly if you're talking about an R.J. Barrett-Donovan-Mitchell combo? I mean, that's that's all hypothetical. I mean, that comes down to the coaching staff. That comes down to what kind of goes there. And, I mean, these guys, I, I, it, it's hard to find a player that couldn't fit with him. So, I mean, eventually, I think you could go in a lot of different directions. But when you've got two guys in R.J. Uh, Barrett and Donovan Mitchell, I mean, you can make a lot work. I mean, that's such a hypothetical to say, you know, what what can you make work? Down the down the line, who knows what star might become disgruntled um, in a year or two. I mean, that's, that, that's a real hypothetical. But eventually, there's going to be something that works out. But the Knicks haven't had a player of Donovan Mitchell's status that has been so talented and so want he wants to be in New York and he's still just reaching the surface and we've seen him lead a team to the top of the Western Conference already I mean that's a guy that in my opinion yeah I'll give up the first round picks that are going to be 13 14 15 going forward to bring him in and I'll give up one of these young pieces who even though Obi Toppin may show some promise even though Grimes may show some promise I'll put them in the deal if it means bringing in Donovan Mitchell that's fair I think the only concern I really have is the Knicks fans are eager to win an NBA title. Okay. It feels it feels like they haven't won an NBA title in forever. If well, they, they get... haven't won an NBA title in forever. Exactly. But what I'm saying is you add Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks fans are going to get Donovan Mitchell. They're going to want more. And yes, you can add pieces with that. But to me, if you add Donovan Mitchell, I think it would be a great move. I think you're heading in the right direction. But I don't think the Knicks adding Donovan Mitchell... I think there's too much too much to get to the next step of NBA title. Well, Cuz right now the Knicks are right on the border of the playoffs. Like I would say they're right on yeah, the playoff yeah, border. Sure. If you get Mitchell, I think you're talking about a 4-5 seed best at best around there for the Eastern Conference. Sure. Sure. But, but I don't talk- think they're going to the title. But you talk about how far off they would still be even if they brought in Donovan Mitchell. Well, how far off are they right now if these Knicks fans are so hungry for a title? Are they content with being this far off? We're not even a playoff team right now. So if you tell me we bring in Donovan Mitchell and we become a four seed or a five seed regularly in the Eastern Conference with the potential in two to three years to add another star, I mean, that's that's what it's all about. I'm not I, I don't think anybody I don't think any Knicks fan would complain about being perpetually a fringe playoff team who's constantly in the play in tournament versus having Donovan Mitchell, R.J. Barrett. Jalen Brunson for the next, you know, four or five years that they're all under contract being a four or five seed in the Eastern conference with the potential to add a disgruntled superstar going forward. I think that gets them much closer to a championship. And, uh, you know, I think that's if Knicks fans are, are, are hungry for a championship and they'd be hungry with Donovan Mitchell there, they must be starving in where they're currently sitting. Yeah. I think, I think at the end of the day you get Mitchell, it's just a matter of, you know, kind of going through the motions of, you know, we got Mitchell. We got the star now. You kind of want to go to the NBA title. You don't want to just waste Donovan Mitchell being with the Nick and not having anything to show for it. And like my, what I've talked with people is, you know, would you rather not have, this is just a hypothetical. Would you rather be relevant with Donovan Mitchell or would you rather win an NBA title? This is obviously hypotheticals because nobody knows the Knicks roster if they weren't to have Donovan Mitchell and they still go with these picks if, if they get a star. But the question is, would you rather have you know Donovan Mitchell and be you know competitive or would you rather win an NBA title? Obviously, getting Donovan Mitchell, you're better off 
going for an NBA title, but you got to kind of weigh the options. Well, I, I, well, I don't get what you're saying, though, because they're nowhere close to an NBA title as currently constructed. No, but what no, I'm and- saying is, are you content with just being relevant? Like, just being relevant, or, or is that, like, content I, I for think you? you're underselling it, because when you bring in Donovan Mitchell, that opens up uh, uh, endless possibilities that you have going forward now. It makes your team so much better. It makes it so much more attractive of a destination. You're going from being a team with a bunch of young kids who are going to end up being role players that are going to sit in, as a play-in tournament team perpetually versus bringing in Donovan Mitchell and being that much closer to a championship. Yeah, I think – I think what Knicks, like the fan base needs to think of is, is it, because obviously the package is going to be huge for Donovan Mitchell. That's not, you know, whatever it is. And I don't think this package is going to lead the Knicks to a NBA title. That's just not how it's going to be. Donovan Mitchell would be the guy. It's just Knicks fans would, Knicks fans got to think what's important right now. Do I want to be relevant or do I just want to not be, you know, not go to the games and not care? Some people would say, hey, you know, being relevant is great, but I, if I'm going to be relevant, I want to win an NBA title. The Knicks have been a putrid franchise for how many years? If they, could be, if they could be a continuous four, five, six seed in the playoffs every year, tell me what Knicks fan wouldn't sign up with that, with the potential to grow from that with a core of Donovan Mitchell and R.J. Barrett. I mean, I don't know how you don't sign up for that. I think some people would just not some people are title hungry. And if they some people, this is just in sports in general, teams, front offices, all this and that. You look at trades with small market teams. If they're going to go for it, they're going to go for it. If they're going to be relevant, okay, you know, that's okay, but they're not gonna just be relevant. They want to be at the top or at the bottom. And you know, with the Knicks adding RJ Barrett, you're you're honestly not at the top and you're not at the bottom. You're at the middle. But again, Derek, there's room to grow into the future. RJ Barrett isn't even close to his prime yet. Donovan Mitchell is just entering his prime. It's not like you don't have other role players that are still there. I mean, Julius Randle then becomes a role player. Whatever young young kids you end up keeping that you don't put in this deal are still going to be able to grow towards their prime. Mitchell Robinson is still there. They just brought in Isaiah Hartenstein. Like they have other role players that are still going to be there. That's fair. And again, they're not giving up all of their draft picks. Yeah, I think, I think it's just I think you do it, but I think from a Knicks fans' perspective, they got to understand that and they're yeah, not I, they're not going to win a title. They're not going to win a title in the next two years after adding Donovan Mitchell. It's going to take time. But you're going to be way more relevant than they've been the I last agree. decade. I agree. You'll be more relevant, but I don't think you'll be closer to an NBA title. But Knicks you'll fans, be much clo- you'll be closer to an NBA title than you are right now. Yes, but I think it I think they need to understand that adding Donovan Mitchell, you're not going to win an NBA title right away. It's going to take some time. All right, still talking Donovan Mitchell, the New York Knicks. Just what are your thoughts in general about everything kind of going on? Yeah, I mean, related to Donovan Mitchell, it's just, you know, my my perspective is getting Donovan Mitchell at this point before he's in his prime to pair with R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson gets them closer to a championship. Even if it takes, you know, two to three years and you have to add different pieces in that time to get closer, whether it's adding another disgruntled superstar than it is waiting out what you have right now with these assets and hoping that they develop into something different two to three years from now. You'll still be closer then than you are now. Yeah. Then you, then you will be with what you have right now. Exactly. And, that, and, and that's why I'm willing to give up, you know, whatever it takes to get him. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, getting Donovan Mitchell is going to be a huge asking price. But I think yeah. if it's, you're the Knicks, you have to take steps in the right direction. And that would be a step in the right direction. And what I'm saying when I say that, I'm not willing to give up Toppin, Grimes, Quickly, McBride, Jericho Sims, and all 11 draft picks just to get Donovan Mitchell. What I'm saying is, whatever combination of this it takes, like none of those, nobody's off limit to me on this roster outside of outside of RJ Barrett. Yeah, and I get and I get what you said before about Toppin. I totally recognize that, but I would still be willing to move on from it if it came down to it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just think. My personal opinion is I think Toppin is a better player than Julius Randle. And you definitely saw when he got the minutes at the end of last season that he's got the potential to really burst on now going into his third year. So I agree with you. It'd be tough to lose him. 
But uh, I still don't know if his ceiling is ever going to be higher, what he brings to the team than, than what you're going to get from Donovan Mitchell. All right. And, you know, all right. And, you know, we talked NBA, we talked Donovan Mitchell a lot about the Knicks, what they should do, what kind of, you know, what the Knicks are really headed. But let's go into Major League Baseball. Obviously, the Yankees were struggling. Now they're back-ish. Now they got players coming back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't coming... know if I'd say they're back, but yeah, sure. Ish, Keep going. Ish. Keep going. Ish. They're back-ish. Ish. Okay. You know, Zach Britton is now starting. Just got word today. This is the day. Zach Britton might be starting his rehab assignment. I said on the last episode of this, I was like, Zach Britton, if he's back and healthy, he's going to be the X factor for the Yankees in that bullpen. Who knows how good he's going to be? He's coming off Tommy John surgery, but whatever it is, the Yankees are starting to become a little bit healthier. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say they're getting healthier because they just got Scott Efros on the IL. That's not something to be proud of at all because your bullpen is now kind of taxed and you're seeing it right now. But overall, what do you think the Yankees are kind of headed right now? I mean, this is what I have to say about kind of where the Yankees are at. Now, obviously, everybody knows that they've been struggling lately, but I, I mean, that's kind of a broad question. But to me, you know, eventually DJ LeMahieu is going to get it turned around. Eventually, Anthony Rizzo is going to break out of the slump. You know, we saw Aaron Judge hit the home run yesterday and Andrew Benintendi's coming around and you're going to get Stan back off of the IL. And if you can get something from Torres or Donaldson, like this lineup is going to be formidable again. And ultimately, I just think it's a lot of guys in the slump at a bad time. And it's kind of shown you've seen that the whole month of August, frankly. The thing that really concerns me is the bullpen. And, and that that's what I really think could be the team's downfall in October. That's what's going to be the biggest hindrance. And I mean, when you look at their IL alone, I mean, we talk about Zach Britton, like you just mentioned. Miguel Castro still on the IL. Uh, Efros just went on the IL. Chad Green is out for the season. King is out for the season. Clay Holmes is on the IL. Like, that's a major league bullpen just on the injured list. So it's been tough to really say that, like, well, this was just poor planning. The Yankees didn't build their bullpen appropriately. Like, that's not the case. They've been hindered by injuries, and they've been hindered by inconsistent play. And that's why I think that the bullpen is ultimately going to be the bigger issue when we get to the postseason rather than, uh, the lineup per se. That's that's personally, I would consider that to be a little bit of a hot take saying that the bullpen could be the major issue because I think the bullpen might be the strength of the Yankees when talking about October. Now, this is saying if everybody's healthy, obviously, because you can't assume you have to assume that the majority of those guys are going to be healthy because they're supposed to be coming back in September. But Honestly, I'm still worried about the starting rotation. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I think it's decent. I think Nestor Cortez is coming back. But Garrett Cole, I tell you, it's just so frustrating to see him pitch. But, you know, if he comes back and he pitches like he what he can pitch in the postseason, the Yankees are going to do fine. The question mark is, how is the offense? How is the bullpen? How is the starting rotation? To me, you look at the teams who have the potential to go to the World Series. The Yankees are the one of the teams that they can make the World Series and whatnot, but they have the most, in my opinion, they have the most question marks out of those teams that you mentioned, you know, potentially being in the World Series. Well, yeah, it's actually interesting because I was just on uh, my radio show this morning. And I gave my power rankings of teams that I see as still being legitimate World Series contenders. I actually put the Yankees at fifth still, even though they have a lot of question marks. I think that when they're right, you know, Aaron Boone said it in that in that post uh, in the postgame press conference where he got heated. He was like, the frustrating thing is we got the guys in the clubhouse that can get it done, which, uh, you know, I ultimately believe if the lineup gets right, which I do believe it is going to be the case. Not everybody's going to slump for the, you know, rest of the season and into October. You know, if every if everybody in the lineup is going through a slump, it, you know, through August, like we've seen, maybe everybody will be hot when we get to October. You know, who knows? That's baseball. I do get what you're saying about the rotation. I mean, let's be frank. If Garrett Cole isn't right, Frankie Montas doesn't return to the pitcher he was before we acquired him from Oakland. Uh, you know, that there, there goes the postseason right there. Without those two guys right, in my opinion, you're putting a lot of pressure on Nestor Cortez to keep pitching the way that he has in recent starts. You're putting a lot of pressure on Luis Severino coming back from injury to be right come postseason. So, I mean, if Garrett Cole isn't right, then, yeah, I don't, I don't know how far that this train would really go without him. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see what the Yankees will do to start rotation-wise. If Severino comes back, do you put him in the bullpen? 
And then you also no, look I don't, at, I don't think so. I, I, well, yeah, keep going, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. And then also you look at this from perspective of, you know, Cortez hasn't pitched a lot of innings. Tyone hasn't pitched a lot of innings in the past. You know, your starting rotation, you can say Cole and Montas. I would say those guys are fine, and I wouldn't be concerned about their innings. The rest of the starting rotation, I would be a little bit concerned about their innings. I mean, so what do you think, number one, what's your concern about the innings? And then what kind of would you do if Severino comes back? Because obviously if Severino comes back, Herman would go to the bullpen as that fifth starter, but you're not having five starters in the postseason. You're probably having three or four, depending on if it's a best out of five or best out of seven. Yeah, I mean, when I think Severino's kind of the key to all of this. And, you know, when you talk about the innings thing, yeah, it stinks that he got hurt. It stinks that he had to, you know, get shut down for a bit here, go on the IL. But that's kind of saving his innings a little bit because he was one of the main guys that there was that innings concern with. So the fact now that he's been shut down for this period of time, from everything I've read, the Yankees fully plan on ramping him back up to be ready to go as a starter when he gets off the IL to make two or three starts before the postseason. So I fully expect him to get ramped back up, and and I fully expect him to be a part of that postseason rotation. I know we saw him as a weapon out of the bullpen last year, but I think if you can get Severino uh, to, to get him stretched back out in time for October, that's the role that he's best suited for. And you can put him into a rotation with Cole and Montas and Severino. And then even though Cortez is going to have the innings concerned, you know, he's pitched the best of the Yankees this last time through the lineup, really the last two or three times through the rotation, not the lineup, excuse me. So that's what I would look for to really be the uh, the postseason rotation. Okay, so then t- would you have Tyone go to the bullpen? Would you have Tyone kind of be in the same situation as Jordan Montgomery has been on the postseason roster, pitch if needed to go long? Like, what are you seeing with Tyone? Because I think yeah. the innings limit to me for Nestor Cortez is more of a concern. I'd actually have Tyone in that fourth spot, and I'd have Nestor Cortez in the bullpen, especially with when we talk about injuries in that bullpen, there's concern. Yeah, but I mean, we. but if Cortez is the one who's continuously giving us great starts, like that's the guy that I want making a start in the postseason, even if he has the injury concerns. And then the question with Tyone becomes, I mean, I, I don't know what he can do out of the bullpen. I don't know what Domingo Herman can really do out of the bullpen. That's for the coaching staff to really figure out. I think Herman would probably be better suited just giving his skill set out of the bullpen. But I mean, Tyone may be the guy that's left off, uh, you know, a postseason roster for a series if he's not really needed in a four man rotation. Because I don't know if, I, if you can find a role for him in the bullpen, if you want to keep him in the bullpen as a long reliever, if one of these guys has to, if one of these starters has to get taken out early, so be it. But um, you know, that to me would be the ideal rotation would be Montas, Cole, uh, Severino and, and Cortez. Okay. That, that's interesting. I think Tyone could be okay as a bullpen arm, as a ground ball, like specialist kind of, kind of thing. Cause I think he does get a lot of ground balls and, you know, we'll move on a little bit and talk, you know, the key, I think to the Yankees starting to look a little bit better. Obviously they're not looking that great, but they're looking better of late. Oswaldo Cabrera, I think he's the key right now. He's being able to play second base, shortstop, third base, right field, that great play in right field. He's made great plays, you know, at shortstop, and he's a switch hitter. That's kind of, you know, what the Yankees have been needing, a guy with versatility and can hit from both sides. First, what are your thoughts just on what he's done so far? Obviously, it's still early on in his major league career. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I, I would temper it down here. I'm not all in that the Yankees have had this big turnaround. I mean, I do like the fact that they won back-to-back games, one against Toronto, one against the Mets. I mean, hey, you took a game against Max Scherzer that no one expected you to win. So I give them props for that. They're going to be playing here in about, you know, 45 minutes. They're going to be playing the second game. If you can win another game here, even if you lose this game, so be it. But I think you're starting to see them get a little bit of momentum. And if they can carry that into this West Coast trip that they're going to have where they're playing the A's and they're playing the Angels, there's no excuses here. you got to win five out of these next seven games that you're playing against these teams, at least four out of seven, and kind of get fat a little bit again, kind of get, get guys going again. I think that that's so key. I mean, I, I get that they've had some tough opponents, and you'd like to see them play better. They've just been playing putrid baseball in the month of August. So you've really got to take advantage of this week portion of your schedule before you get back into September and you're playing the Rays again and you're playing the Red Sox again and you're playing some of these other talented teams that are capable of beating you again. I mean, go and take care of business 
against the Athletics and the Angels on this West Coast trip and get some momentum going, get a little win streak going. I mean, that's what it's really going to come down to. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on what Cabrera has done so far? Just yeah, I know I mean, it's still early on, but look, you know, he's shown I, versatility. I, I like Cabrera. I like his versatility. I, 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 like, I like him a lot. I like his versatility. I definitely think that there's more in the tank than what he's shown so far. I mean, I think he's only hitting 136 so far. And, again, it's limited at-bats, but he hasn't really shown you a ton with the stick right now. But the fact that he provides versatility, he's a young, youthful energy in the clubhouse, which I definitely think is big. And, hey, I, I, I hope he sticks for a little bit. Obviously, if, if, if you know, it looks like uh, Stanton's going to be coming back here during the West Coast trip. So I would imagine they're going to send Floreal right back down. I mean, he's not even in the lineup today against the Mets again. So they're not really giving him a le- legitimate shot out in the outfield. But once Stanton comes back, uh, I expect Floreal to go down. But I, I hope to still see Cabrera penciled into the lineup every night. Eventually, I think he's going to get going with the bat. And, you know, I love the youthful exuberance he's, uh, he's brought to the clubhouse. And obviously, looking back a little bit, Everybody was hoping for that burst of energy. It was Cabrera, quote unquote, Cabrera and Floreal that gave it to him, but it wasn't much of a energy. They've only really been better of late, but not too much better. You know, what was your thoughts on Peraza not getting called up and kind of what are your thoughts on him as certain Yankee fans were like, right now he's better than Isaiah Kiner Falefa. And, you know, I like Kiner Falefa as the shortstop. I think he's consistent and steady. I get it. He's not going to wow you, but I think, you know, give Peraza his time in the minors and see what he can do next year. Yeah. I mean, Peraza, it's like, I'm kind of cool with it. You know, if they had called him up instead of Cabrera, great. If not, you know, I'm fine with seeing one of the two. They had to bring some youth into that clubhouse and they did that. You know, I honestly think they're playing with Peraza. I think that they're probably going to call him up. He's on the 40-man roster when it expands in September. He'll be on the Yankees for a stretch of games there in September. And it kind of reminds me of Derek Jeter a little bit when he was called up in 95 when they were making the run uh, in the September call-ups and he wasn't on the postseason roster. I don't imagine they put Peraza on the postseason roster unless he's just lighting it up and in, in, in those couple of weeks he's up in September. But if he can come up, get some major league experience, I think he's fully going to compete for the shortstop. Uh, spot next year I think that's the plan that they would have for him and like I said kind of reminiscent to Derek Jeter I'm not comparing him in that aspect but I don't know I don't see him getting called up any sooner do you I mean do you think he's gonna get called up in September I honestly don't think he's gonna get called up at all this this year just because you don't have you know he's on the 40-man roster but you got also got to understand it's not 40-man roster anymore it's like 30 so I think, you know, with injuries coming back, Stan's coming back, I think you're going to see Bader coming back. You're going to see more of the veteran guys who are hurt coming back, where I don't think Peraza would really, not that he doesn't fit a need, because you can always use, you know, infielders, but I don't see him coming up based on the fact of you got batters coming back, and I think pitchers will come back. I think if everything goes as planned for the Yankees, and these guys who are injured are expected to come back in September, come back it's going to be interesting to see what their postseason roster is Mm -hmm. and what i'm saying with peraza too is just the fact that it's not like i would you'd be calling him up looking for him to make a big contribution but i think what their plan is i think it would make sense if they're really grooming him to be the shortstop next season call him up for september get some uh, experience you know just being in a big league clubhouse more than anything not even necessarily getting a ton of playing time i think you know, we're seeing that that's going to go to Cabrera and that's kind of who they're rolling with for the remainder of the season as really being a cog in the lineup. For Peraza, I think it's more get some, you know, actual experience so the next year if he's competing for the starting shortstop position, he's going to go into the season already having some some major league experience, even though it's going to be limited to just a week or two, maybe, you know, even a slightly more than that. Yeah, um, I think, I think but, that's fair. Yeah, but you were talking about the postseason roster too, so I mean, what are you talking about specifically? Are we are we talking about what the outfield's looking like with you know Aaron Hicks, possibly Harrison Bader coming back? Because I think that's an interesting conversation right there of kind of what they're looking to keep in, in that aspect of it. I was thinking more pitching wise because you look Castro is coming back. The Yankees love Albert Abreu. I just haven't seen much. Scott Efros is on the IL, could be coming back. Like all these guys come be could be coming back. And you're talking about a guy who's been pitching well in the major leagues, but he's had options and that's why he's been down is Ron Marinaccio. That's a guy who might not get on the major league roster. And 
Can you please explain to me? I get it. Albert Abreu has a good ERA, excuse me. But what is like? What is so good about him? He's just like a. There's there's no reason that Albert Abreu should have been on the major league roster over Ron Marinaccio. And I think purely the only reason that he was on the roster over Marinaccio was simply because of the fact that Marinaccio had options. I mean, it's, I think it's simple as that. But then when you get to the postseason, you have the ability to kind of pick and choose whoever you want to be on that postseason roster. A guy like Albert Abreu, he's not going to be on it. A guy like Miguel Castro, even if, you know, I, I don't know what we're going to get from him coming back, but he's a guy that's had, you know, control problems in the past. That's not a guy that I want pitching high leverage situations in the playoffs. So I think he's going to get passed up on a postseason bullpen, you know. Uh, and again, you never know. If he pitches well in September, that could be completely different. But they're going to go with the best options come uh, come uh, October. And if that's – and if part of that is Marinaccio – and if part of that is some of these other guys that are going to get healthy, if Clay Holmes can come back and be Clay, Clay Holmes, I think asking Britain to come back and be impeccable Britain is a lot. But, you know, he's an X factor. I like the way that you put that. He will be an X factor in this bullpen, depending what you get from him. I like that, too. I like the way that you describe that. I'm going to send another name out there that Joel Sherman actually wrote about this guy in the New York Post a day or two ago. But this, the Scranton Rail Riders closer, Greg Wazert, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's been their closer all season. He's 27 years old. He has a 1.77 ERA in that closer role, hasn't allowed a run in his last 22 outings, and his opponent batting average on the season is below 200. That's a guy who I would look to potentially be added to the 40-man roster. He's going to be in the Rule 5 draft if the Yankees don't add him to the 40-man roster this offseason, and we know what happened with Garrett Whitlock and the Red Sox. So I would get that guy on the 40-man roster for September, get him into some games, see what he's got. If his numbers can translate to the Major League roster, that's another guy that I would look to be a part of the postseason rotation, uh, the postseason bullpen, excuse me, if he can get guys out at the major league level. And then you also get to see whether it's worth it to keep him uh, on the 40-man roster, given the Rule 5 draft eligibility that he would then become uh, available for. The question, though, would be, with all these injuries, Zach Britton was on the 60, Severino was on the 60, these guys were on the 60, you're probably going to have to DFA a couple guys as is. If you add him to... That's another player to DFA. Like, who are they going to be getting rid of? I would say that they probably be getting rid of Albert Abreu, but let's say that's for Britain. You still have Severino. You would bring up him. You still have uh, other guys on the 60-day IL. Like, who are all these guys that they're DFAing? I think they are at 38, I want to say, roster spots. So they still have some wiggle room, but, like, you're going to have to DFA guys if he would to come up and I don't, I don't see a situation where if, if he can, if he can get guys out, I don't care who you have to DFA. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. But who? yeah, I'll, D, I'll, I'll DFA, I'll DFA Luke Bard. Who's on the roster right now. Oh, I'll I DFA. Yeah. I'll DFA. Uh, I'll DFA Albert Abreu. I mean, let's go through it right now with, with what's, with what's healthy right now. Let's, let's you and I piece together this Yankees bullpen. Shall we? Yeah, let's go. All right. So let's say let's say that it's we're going to go with an eight man bullpen, correct? And then it's going to be you know a Domingo Herman or a Tyone in the postseason as well, who would be you know it, it coming out of the bullpen because they're not going to be starting in that. Situation. Before you go, correct? is there twelve? Is there still twelve pitchers that uh, for the postseason roster? You're still maxed out at twelve for the uh, postseason, or is it? Or are you able to go thirteen? Because I know it's twelve for the entire regular season, but it could be thirteen for the postseason. I'm just trying to do the math right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, oh, I think it's 13. So you're able to have 13 for postseason, or is it 13 yeah, now? I, I, th I, no, I think it's 13 now. If you just look at the Yankees staff, the pitching staff alone right now. Right now, active, they've got Loisega, Chapman, Trevino, Marnaccio, Peralta, Litke, okay. Bard, and Schmidt. Yeah, they got 13. So it'd be 13. All right, let's piece it together okay. as 13. Okay, and, so, then, and then they got 13. 13 is it is it 20 it's 26 or 28 now for the postseason for the postseason i believe it's still 26 okay so so you do 13 13 yeah i think essentially that's it let's piece together an eight-man okay. bullpen okay well so obviously you got starters we already have the starters for the 13 so you'd have mm -hmm. oh so you're gonna go eight-man bullpen yeah, let's go eight-man bullpen, and then if, obviously, Tyone or Herman's coming out of the pen, then it's still the same amount of pitchers. They're just in the pen. Okay. So, obviously, the closer would be a huge question mark. Who would you have as a closer? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I'm not going to put a label on the closer, but I'll okay. say some of, some of your high leverage guys that are healthy right now. Let's start with the guys who are healthy, and then we'll hypothetically say guys are coming back. Okay. Wiseaga is on my postseason roster. Yep. Chapman's out of my postseason bullpen. Marinaccio's out of my postseason bullpen. Those are the three guys who are at the top of it right now. Then I think, then I think you're also probably having what what's still active. Peralta's probably in there, and I'd say Trevino's probably in there as well. That's five. And then I think Litke is also in there as well, depending on who you have coming back from injury. So that's six. Okay. That's six. And then when you look at what is coming back from injury, Abreu and Castro, both injured. I'll leave them out of it right now. I think, you know, maybe you could make the case that you'd take, you know, one of them over uh, Litke or Peralta. Then you're getting in the question of whether you'd have the right, rather have the right-hander or the left-hander. But let's just leave them out of it for now. You're definitely having Scott Efros in there if he comes back from injury. So that gets you to seven. And then really all that's left would be Clay Holmes and Zach Britt. Okay. So then it would be the question if let's say Britain's back. Yep. Uh, who would you, I, I would take out Licky in that, in that um roster. Like I would have, I would take out Licky and if put I'm, in if, Britain. If, if I'm taking out a reliever, I agree. I would take out Licky. It's lefty for lefty pretty easy. But I think then you also got to get into the question. You know, the Yankees aren't going to be keeping six starters because then you'd also have then, – then, like I said, my rotation would be Cole, Severino, Montas, and Cortez. That still leaves That's 12. Herman and Tyone. I would only keep one of those guys. One of those I guys would wouldn't be. And then you would still be fine to have Litge and per, and Britton and Holmes. Then that well, would, we then were that going, would work. I, we were going eight eight for the bullpen, and then it would be five for the starting rotation. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, yeah, I but, got then, you. but then either Herman or Tyone, whichever one yeah. you keep on the roster, you just have him come out of the bullpen as a long long reliever. Yeah, but you wouldn't bring up Licky because you'd have four because, remember, Severino is coming back, so he's on the IL. So you would you would still yeah, have Licky. You still would have Licky out, but have – you basically would come down to who would you want, Tyone, Herman, or Licky – or Abreu, blah, 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 or Abreu or Castro, and I would go with a long reliever. Honestly, I honestly don't know what I would go with. I probably would go Herman or Tyone. If I'm talking length-wise, I'm probably going Tyone. If I'm touching, if I'm talking about stuff-wise, I'm going Herman. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's that's getting into, like, a really minute detail of it because both either one of them I don't really see being utilized unless they have to come in. If a guy gets dusted up, you know, by the second inning, that's the situation they're coming in. So, I mean, they're, it's not like they're getting going to get used in the eighth inning here or something like that. I so, think Herman could pitch. If I mean, not – I think Herman would be more likely to pitch in higher level leverage situations than Tyone in the bullpen. Yeah, but I would I would still turn – let's say F. Ross is healthy. I'd still turn to him in the eighth oh, inning before I'd I would to too, Herman, but I'm saying know? like sixth inning. And you sure. don't want to pitch guys like back to back to back. You want to separate them out. I can see – like Herman pitching in a sixth or something like that. Fair. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm fine with that as well. I mean, I, again, I, I would only keep one of Herman or Tyone on the postseason roster, given all these hypotheticals and everybody coming back healthy. Now, if you look at the regular roster, you would still say that obviously Higgy Trevino are going to be the catchers first base Rizzo. You still probably got Glaber Donaldson, LeMayu and Kiner Falefa. You, you still have Benatendi and Judge. You would have Stanton as well. Stanton would come in for Floreal on the active roster. Then it bades the question about three guys in particular, Cabrera, Gonzalez, and Hicks. And yeah, are, you anybody... hypothetically saying, are you hypothetically saying Bader and Carpenter are healthy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, dealing in hypotheticals like this, there's always the chance that someone else gets hurt. Yeah. Right as one of these guys are getting healthy, but in a perfect world where everybody's healthy, and I'm choosing between who Cabrera, Hicks, Gonzalez, and Carpenter Those... and Bader. Yeah, yeah, I would for, do for Carpenter. how many spots. So it'd be two. You'd have two spots left. So if you were to put Carpenter and Bader, you would be replacing Hicks, Gonzalez, or um, Cabrera. I would personally replace Gonzalez. You probably would prop. What they probably would do is replace Gonzalez and Cabrera. That's how they probably would do it. Personally, I would replace Gonzalez and um, Hicks. Well, if Bader's healthy, then Hicks becomes irrelevant. He's off my postseason roster. 
I don't know if the Yankees think that way, though, because of defense and switches. Because if you look at their infield, if you look at the infield, let's say Cabrera is not on the roster. Let's say Cabrera is out. Okay. Let's do hypothetical. It's Cabrera and Hicks. You look at the infielders. Who is playing the outfield? If you're doing a pinch running situation or something like that. Again, I will take Bader straight up over Hicks. Oh, I would too, but I'm saying if you have the left fielder as Ben Attendee, center fielder as um, Bader, right field as Judge, you're doing a pinch, you're pinch hitting. Well, would you pinch hit for any of those three? Actually, let's say they pinch hit for Bader, okay? Okay. Who would be playing center field and who would be playing, like there's no player in the infield that would be playing the outfield you would move Stanton out to the outfield and move Judge to center field. Well, do you have Cabrera or Gonzalez in the on the postseason roster? Oh, you, well, you'd have both Gonzalez, of them could play yeah, in the outfield. You'd have Gonzalez probably. And well, then Gonzalez there's the answer. Would, yeah. Okay. That make that makes sense then. Yeah, and again, this is also an extreme hypothetical, but at the end of the day, I don't see Hicks on the postseason roster. I think it's simple as that. Um, and then you know, I, I'd love to see Cabrera get hot and have them keep him and have them keep him on the postseason roster. And again, it's a lot of stuff because we don't know to what extent when Matt Carpenter is going to be back. You know, he, he, he thinks he's confident that he'll be back before the season ends. But then at what point you even wonder, you know, how effective he's going to be having not played in so long. Um, it, it's a nice storyline, but you're going to play. You're going to put the guys on the postseason roster who are playing the best baseball at the time. All right. Last question about Yankees before we move into before we talk about who who you think is going to, you know, go into MLB, like be the, you know, the predictions, who are you taking? If, if Let's just say it's one spot left and you have these two guys, Oswaldo Cabrera or Marwin Gonzalez. It's a good question. I mean, again, I, I want to say it's, it's all going to come down to who's playing well, because if they continue to pencil in Cabrera every day into the lineup, you know, there's the chance that he becomes an everyday player if he starts, if he gets hot in September and he has a great month of September, you know, it's not going to be a question of, of him being, you know, kind of a role player who plays all over the place. He's going to be in the lineup every day, no matter what position it is. Marwin Gonzalez is never going to be an everyday player on this, on this team. So that's where the decision would come down to me is it's going to be Cabrera. Now, if he continues to hit 136 throughout the month of September, then you know what? I'm probably just going with Gonzalez because of the fact that he's been versatile for the team the entire year. But on the other shoe, if Cabrera's just as versatile and he's, you know, both of them are pretty irrelevant in the batter's box, then maybe I'll keep the young guy to give him some postseason experience if he's going to be just as effective with versatility. Okay. Now moving on to postseason predictions. Obviously, now we're just going to talk. Who do you think is going to win the AL pennant, the NL pennant, and then who do you have won the World Series? The AL pennant's interesting because I really see the Astros and the Yankees still as the two clear-cut teams that can make a run. I think the Blue Jays, it so much hinges on their lineup. They've certainly got the capability to make that run, but I, I still don't necessarily think that their pitching staff, especially the rotation, is deep enough to do it. The Mariners would scare me in a series because they have some quality starters. Their lineup is potent. They have some quality arms in the bullpen, but a deep run, I just don't know if it's there yet. So out of the American League, I think it's going to be the Astros or the Yankees still. And if the Yankees can turn it around, I'm never going to pick the Astros over the Yankees. I mean, come on now. So, yeah, I would go with the Yankees there. The Dodgers look really good in the West, but just for the sake of being different, um, you know, I like what the cards have built. I really do. I think the Mets have a roster that's built for the postseason, but I think that their middle relief is going to be their downfall. And I like what the Braves have. But you know what? For the sake of it, I'll go with the Padres. That's going to be my bold prediction. It's the Padres. When you look at their rotation, if Joe Musgrove, you Darvish, Sean Manaya, and uh, Blake Snell all get going in the postseason, that's a scary rotation that you're going to have to go up against in any seven, five or seven game series. Does the Tatis thing, like, does that mean anything to you, or is that just? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been there all year, and he's not going to be there the rest of the year. So okay. be it. They just added the best, arguably the best hitter in the game of baseball. Manny Machado's had an under-the-radar MVP season. Their lineup is still potent, even without Tatis. They've played to this level without him all season. And I think if you can get that rotation hot come October, you know, Joe Musgrove struggled of late. Um, Blake Snell is finally starting to get it going a little bit in recent starts. 
if they get hot come October, you know, that's not a team I'd want to face. And I could see them making a deep run. That's fair. I think it's not, I don't, it's going to be tough to, to see what's going to happen. I think at the end of the day, it depends on if you're talking AL wise, it's going to depend on are the Yankees hot at the right time. If they are, they got a chance. If they're not, they're not beating the Astros. I hate to say it, but they just have not shown people that they can beat the Astros. And then NL side, I think it's up in the air. I think the Mets have a chance. I think the Dodgers have a chance. You know, the Cardinals are an interesting thing like going on. I honestly am a little weary just about them, just with everything kind of going on. Gorman, is he playing? Is he not? You know, center field, Carlson, is he really a center fielder? Is a right fielder really that good? It's well little things like that. But I think at the end of the day, I think it's going to be probably the – I th- I'll say it's going to be the Astros and the Dodgers probably, but I would love to see a Yankees-Mets World Series. I mean, who wouldn't love to see that? But, yeah, and I mean, making a prediction like this, I'm never going to pick the Astros when it comes down to picking them versus the Yankees just for the sake of it. Um, it's not like I'm betting on this or anything. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Yankees. And then out of the West, I mean, yeah, the Dodgers look great, but, I mean, they're, they're in it every year. I get, I'll get bored picking them every time. That's fair. <laughs> All right, everybody. And that is episode 14 of Derek's Discussions. Nick, do you have any last words for our listeners out there? Yeah, I mean, if it, you if you want a real quick sports last word, I'm a Steelers fan. I know we didn't have time to get into the NFL, but my prediction for the Steelers quarterback situation, Mitch Trubisky is going to start week one. He's going to do all right. He's going to hold the ship steady for the first four weeks. Their schedule gets tough, weeks five, six, and seven. He's going to struggle a little bit there. Fans are going to start to call for his job. They're going to start to call for the young guy, Kenny Pickett, who's looked great in the preseason. The Steelers are going to turn to him after week seven. The Steelers have a bye week, week eight. They're going to take that time, that extra bye week, week eight, to get him ready to come and be the starter come week nine. That's when Kenny Pickett becomes the starter. That's my prediction for how that quarterback battle is going to go out uh, and, and what the, when they're going to turn to Kenny Pickett there. Outside of that, Derek, I just want to thank you for having me on, man. It's been a blast talking sports with you, and I love what you've been doing with the podcast. All right. Thank you, Nick. And Nick Vate, everybody. <laughs>